The astounding part of Christ's first coming is not simply that He was and is fully divine, but also that He was and is fully human. The baby in Bethlehem was fully God and fully human. The one through whom the world was created became a servant in order to save us from our sins. In this message from David Platt, we reflect on Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, and the mystery of Christ's humanity and deity dwelling in one person. The idea that God would come in the form of a servant should fill us with awe, gratitude, and praise. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, Jesus, our servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. So let me start by setting the stage. If you weren't here last week or if you're visiting with us today, first, we are so glad you're here. And second, we started last week a four-week series in one passage in the Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It comes in the middle of encouragement for the church to look out for one another and love one another selflessly, to look out for each other's interests above our own. And in verse five, the Bible points us to the example of Jesus. And what unfolds from there may be the most majestic, breathtaking, awe-inspiring picture of the wonder of Christmas anywhere in the Bible. Even though none of the details of the Christmas story are even mentioned. No manger or stable, no Mary or Joseph, no shepherds or wise men. So let me read the whole passage again, starting in verse 5. Follow along with me. I'll have it on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. The Bible says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what we're doing leading up to Christmas is exploring this cave of supernatural treasure, one verse at a time. And last week we were in verse six, and we talked about how Jesus, this baby born in a manger, was in the form of God and equal with God. We talked about the mystery of the Trinity. One God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God. Specifically last week, we looked at how what we celebrate at Christmas is the birth of God in the flesh. Jesus, this crying, screaming, bedwetting baby lying in a manger is God with us. And we talked about how this is the core truth in Christianity. It's what separates Christianity from Judaism, Christianity from Islam, which, can I just mention, as a side note, how proud I am of this church family. Last night in this building, we hosted a room full of, and people coming from all of our different locations, a room full of 
Muslims from across our city. You invited Muslim friends and neighbors and coworkers who come here from all over the world, had conversations with people from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, all across North Africa and the Middle East. And you brought them and literally they, a room full of people gathered to hear the gospel, the good news of how God became a man. It was awesome. So that's, that's, that's verse six. Now verse seven today is gonna tell us how that happened and why that happened. And the why is where I really wanna encourage you, particularly if you're struggling in any way today. So let's look at verse seven with the lead in from verse six. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Wow, what does that mean? Jesus emptied himself. It's clearly something he willingly chose to do instead of grasping all that's involved in equality with God and being in the form of God, he emptied himself. Now we know it doesn't mean he ceased to be God because as we saw last week, he was in the form of God, equal with God. So what does this mean to empty himself? And verse seven answers that question with, question with two phrases. One, by taking the form of a servant, that's what it means for him to empty himself. And then two, by being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus emptied himself, not by losing something, but by taking on something. He didn't take off his divinity. He took on the form of a servant. Same word that's used up earlier, the form of God, form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. So in these two verses, we have a picture of Jesus as one person with two natures. Verse 6 is talking about his divine nature, what we saw last week. Now verse 7 is talking about his human nature, which plunges us again into the deep end of the mystery and majesty of Jesus, of Christmas. Jesus, who we've already seen is fully God, is also fully man. The word here in verse seven for likeness means the same as. So at a certain point in time, Jesus, who was fully God, became human, just like you and me, except without sin, which we'll talk about in a minute. But think about it. Jesus, God the Son, took on a human body with flesh and blood and bones, just like us. He was born as a baby. And so here is another opportunity for me to show you a picture of my baby. Mercy. So just looking for opportunities. <laughs> our, our now 10-month-old. Like, this is what Jesus, God, the Son, became. A baby who needed to be fed and changed. Would cry when he was tired or hungry. And this is where I get my reputation for ruining Christmas carols, which I promise really is not my aim. But away in a manger with cattle lowing and the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, is just not 
true. <laughs> Newborn babies cry, especially if they wake up next to a cow. I fully realize that screaming night, holy night, doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but what parent in this gathering looks back on the newborn stage and thinks things were so silent, <laughs> quiet during those days and nights? No, they were chaotic. And this is part of what emptying himself means, and we need to make sure we don't minimize it. Jesus, the creator, came to creation in a human body just like ours that cried and was hungry and was thirsty and needed sleep with a human mind. This is baffling. As a child, Jesus had to learn just like we do, to eat, to talk, to walk, to read, to write with human emotions, just like our emotions. Loneliness, sorrow, moved, troubled in spirit. Jesus embodied the full depth of humanity, just like us. And I should add, he still does. Jesus didn't just temporarily become man. After he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. As a person, he ascended into heaven as a person, as a human, where he remains fully human and fully God forever. Is this mystery not mind-boggling, breathtaking? Jesus, one person with two distinct natures, a human nature and a divine nature. And we see this. Now, now start thinking about the details of the Christmas story. The angels saying to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son, that's his humanity, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's his deity. Even that, the virgin birth, his full humanity on display, being born from a human mother. His full deity on display from the miraculous picture of the Holy Spirit enabling Mary to conceive. And then just think about both these natures all throughout the Bible in his human nature. We could say at points, he was 5, 10, 20, 30 years old. In his divine nature, he existed eternally. In his human nature, there were times when he was weak and tired. In his divine nature, he possessed omnipotent power. We saw this in our study of Mark 4. Remember Jesus sleeping on a boat? There's his human nature. Then he stands up and tells the wind and waves to stop. His divine nature. Even what I mentioned just a few minutes ago, a few minutes ago, in his human nature, he ascended into heaven. He's no longer in the world. In his divine nature, what we talked about last week, he's with us wherever we go and whatever we face. In his human nature, he had limited knowledge. In his divine nature, he was and is and always will be omniscient, knowing all things. Are you seeing the mystery of Christmas? Indeed, this is not just a holiday worthy of sleigh bells and stockings. This is the commemoration and celebration of the eternal and the temporal side by side. The finite and the infinite together in one, the creator, a part of creation, the king of heaven learning to crawl. 
It's this mind-boggling majesty that is worthy of our wonder and our worship. And it's not just mind-boggling. It is life-changing. Which takes us back to the other verse, or the other phrase here in verse 7. So we've seen what it means for Jesus to empty himself by becoming fully human like us. But why? And this is where the wonder goes to a whole nother level. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Doulos is the original word there. It's the Greek word for slave. If you're reading, hearing this in the first century, this word immediately puts in your mind the kind of person who has no rights and whose very existence is to serve someone else. Jesus, still in the form of God, took on the form of a slave. Whoa. And this is not the only time the Bible talks like this. In fact, Jesus himself talks like this, very specifically. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus is talking with his disciples about serving, much like the context of Philippians chapter 2 is about serving each other in the church. And Jesus says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you hear that? Are you seeing this? Jesus is telling us why he came. And there's so much we could talk about here. Lord willing, we'll actually come to this passage a couple months from now when we resume our journey through the book of Mark. So we'll be able to dive in deeper then. But for now, maybe write this down. Not even just physically, but spiritually imprint this on your heart. Three reasons why Jesus became human. And I want to make these personal so that you hopefully feel this right where you're sitting right now. Why did Jesus become human? Hear his words. One, Jesus came to suffer like you. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, that's a title that he uses all throughout the book of Mark specifically to emphasize his humanity. And specifically in Mark, the hardships and sufferings that accompany humanity. And Jesus is saying here, I came to experience what you experience in your humanity. And this is part of why I make the comments I did earlier about those Christmas carols, not just to be light, but because if we are not careful, we will picture Jesus as unlike us in ways that he is actually like us. We'll picture him as different from us in ways that rob us of the mammoth reality that Jesus specifically came to be like us, to experience what we experience. Are you tired? Jesus knows what it's like to be tired. Are you exhausted, weary, burnt out, or beat down? Jesus experienced all of those things. 
do you experience emotional distress? So did Jesus. Do you experience physical pain? So did Jesus. Do you experience relational hurt? So did Jesus. He was alienated, betrayed, criticized, denied, ultimately condemned. Do you ever feel broken? Jesus was broken. Do you grieve? Jesus grieved. Do you sometimes cry out because you feel like you can't take it anymore? Jesus was full of sorrows, crying out to God the Father in desperation, even asking the question we're all familiar with, why? Whatever physical, emotional, relational hurt or weariness you have, hear this. You do not have a God who is distant from what you're feeling. You have a God who is familiar with what you're walking through on deep levels. This is why Corrie ten Boom could cry from the depths of a Nazi death camp. No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. Jesus came to this fallen world as a man to suffer like you. The language Hebrews 4.15 uses is to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Not only does Jesus see what you're walking through right now, he is able to understand and identify with you in it. He suffered all the way to the point of death, which leads to the second reason Jesus came. Feel this, Jesus came to sacrifice his life for you. We're going to talk about this more next week when we get to Philippians 2, 8, how Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to even death on a cross. What a phrase. But I just want to point out today how Jesus' full humanity, what we're seeing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, is necessary for Jesus to give his life for us. But the word for here, in Mark 10, 45, literally means instead of or in the place of. In order for Jesus to die for us as people, he had to be like us as a person. The Bible makes this crystal clear in Hebrews 2.17, talking about Jesus, it says he had to be made like his brothers, like every other man and woman in humanity in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, a sacrifice for the sins of the people. In other words, if Jesus was not fully human like us, he could not have paid the penalty due us as humans. He had to experience temptation just like we do, overcome that temptation to the full, and then die in our place. For those of you who are not yet Christians, maybe you're visiting today, exploring Christianity, this is the core truth at the center of the Bible. And it's what Christmas is all about. We have all been created by God for relationship with God. But we have sinned against God. It's the word the Bible uses for how we've turned aside, all of us, 
looks different in each of our lives. We've turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves and our own ways. And our sin has separated us from God in such a way that if we die in this state of sin and separation from God, we'll spend eternity experiencing judgment due our sin. But the good news of the Bible is that God loves us so much that he has come to us. This is what we're talking about. He came to live the life we could not live, life of no sin, and then even though he had no sin for which to die, he came to die for us, to pay the price on the cross for you instead of you and me. He died the death we deserve to die. And then the good news keeps getting better because he didn't stay dead for long. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering the enemy we cannot conquer on our own. This is Jesus And no matter who you are or what you have done, if you will place your trust in Jesus, God will forgive you of all your sin and restore you to relationship with him for all of eternity. We invite you to make today the day when you believe this good news in your life. Receive this gift. It's waiting for you today. And then... Third, and the first two are obviously awesome, but this is the one that in a sense takes the cake. This is the truth that is sustaining me and has the power to sustain you. But I'm going to go ahead and warn you, the language I'm about to use almost feels wrong to say, but I'm going to say it because Jesus said it. And Philippians 2, 7 is saying it. So why did Jesus come and take on human flesh? Why was he born in the likeness of men? Reason number three, Jesus came to be your servant. Or to use the original word from Philippians 2, 7, Jesus came to be your slave. This is straight from his mouth here in Mark 10, 45. Even the son of man, talking about himself, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And it's interesting, the word Jesus uses here in Mark 10 is not slave. This word literally means to wait on tables. So get this, when Jesus looked for a word to describe why he came to you and me, he said, I came to wait on you. Think about that, you go to a restaurant, someone comes to your table and asks, how can I help you? What can I get you? I'm here to serve you. Jesus says, that's why I came, to say that to you. How can I help you? What can I get you? I'm your servant. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, saying this to you and me. This is lunacy. No religious teacher talks like this. We're supposed to serve deity. This is deity in the flesh saying, I'm here to serve you. This sounds crazy until we realize this is not crazy. This is 
Christianity. This is Christ. Jesus did not come as a potentate whose personal whims are to be catered to by lowly servants. Jesus came to be the lowly servant for you, right where you're sitting right now. Me. Jesus is saying to his followers, then and to you and me today, I did not come to be served by you. In my relationship with you, I'm the servant. I serve you. I work for you. I wait on you. Doesn't that sound almost blasphemous to say? Now, let's be clear what the Bible doesn't mean when it calls Jesus our servant. The Bible doesn't mean we tell Jesus to do whatever we want him to do, and he does it as if we have authority over him. And this certainly doesn't discount all the times in which the Bible calls followers of Jesus servants of Jesus. So there's a ton of time we could spend there. But follow what Jesus is saying here in Mark 10, because, well, think about it. This is, in a sense, the essence of Christianity. Yet so many Christians miss it. Think about it. How do you become a Christian? How do you become a follower of Christ? The whole Christian life starts at the moment that you or I stop trying to serve God and we trust God to serve us, right? The Christian life begins when you realize you have sin in your heart against God and there's no amount of good you can do to cover over that. No matter, it's not a, Christianity is not a list of things to do. Pray this amount of times, read the Bible, go to church, do all these things, and you'll earn your way to God. No, that misses the whole point. You can't cover over your sin on your own. You need God to serve you. You need Jesus' sacrifice, what we just talked about, to cover over the stain of sin in your life. And Jesus says, that's why I came. I came to serve you. And when we trust him to serve us in this way, that's when you or I become a Christian. But here's the deal. Once we become a Christian, we don't then move on from this as if we don't need Jesus to serve us anymore. Jesus did not come just to serve us once, save us from the penalty of sin, and then we figure out everything else from there, which is how a lot of people view their Christian life and experience their Christian life. And this is the whole point. Jesus didn't come just to save you. He came to serve you every single day. So put this all together, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Just as truly as Jesus was in the form of God, he existed in the form of God, Jesus exists in the form of a servant, a slave for you. It's the whole reason he came and was born. Jesus became like you and me in order to serve you and me. So that, now make the connection, when you're tired, and weak, and burn out, or beat down, or discouraged, or depressed. Hear what Jesus, God in the flesh, is saying to you. He is saying, I'm here to serve you. He's saying, right now, I'm here to wait on you. With strength to get you through today. And peace that passes all understanding. 
and joy that supersedes your circumstances. Jesus says, I'm, I'm here to serve you. That's the reason I came. This is what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to you and me in a fallen world, in a weary world, and saying right now, I exist as your servant. So I showed that picture of mercy. I want to show you a couple of other pictures as well. Yesterday, I was out at NBC Arlington for the memorial service of Ruby Mae Blackwell. So Ruby's mom and dad, Stephanie and Kennard, are, have been a faithful part of NBC for a lot of years. And Ruby was born about a week before Mercy with a congenital heart disease which eventually led to surgeries and severe brain and kidney injuries and fractured bones and countless other challenges. And almost exactly a month ago, actually when Stephanie and Kennard thought they were about to bring her home, Ruby unexpectedly and suddenly breathed her last breath. I sat at this memorial service yesterday near Brady and Jillian Workman, whose son Callum was born this summer, also with a host of medical challenges, primarily with his heart and brain. And after 55 days in Children's Hospital, right down the hall from the Blackwells, these two families from our church right there together, and after some sweet memories that God provided in Callum's hospital room, baby Callum breathed his last breath. And I do not know or pretend to understand or be able to explain why these precious couples have these pictures of their babies. We live in a fallen, weary, painful world with all kinds of questions for which we do not have answers. But we do know this. We have a God who exists to serve us in the middle of the hurt and the pain and the questions. And I don't presume for a second that this truth takes away the hurt or the pain, or answers all the questions. But I, I do know, based on my time with these two couples yesterday, that this truth provides hope in the middle of it all. Because the Bible is telling us, God is telling us today that he was Ruby's servant and Callum's servant, because the Bible clearly teaches that when that Little baby girl and that little baby boy breathed their last breath in that hospital. God himself was there to serve their little bodies in such a way that in the next instant, they woke up to glory with him in heaven. And for their moms and dads, Stephanie and Kennard, and Brady and Jillian, in the middle of the hurt and the pain and all the questions, you can know that God himself is your servant. And he exists to wait on you, to provide you with everything you need, everything you need in the days ahead. That's the reason he came.
Jesus came to serve Stephanie and Kennard and Ruby and Brady and Jillian and Callum. And the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to serve you. Right where you're sitting right now, to wait on you, to be your servant. I don't know what you're walking through in your life right now. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus does. He knows, he sees, and he's able to sympathize and hear God speaking to you right now. Jesus, the mysterious, majestic God in the flesh is with you right now to serve you. This is Christianity, this is Christmas, and mark it down, there is coming a day in your humanity when you will breathe your last breath. You don't know when, it could be today for any one of us. It could be years from now. But whenever that moment comes, for all who are in Jesus, you can know this, in that moment when your heart and your lungs fail, the fully human, fully divine Son of God who conquered death will serve you and lead you into eternal life with him. All glory be to Christ Jesus, who being in very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I exhort you, trust him to serve you. Will you bow your heads with me? I just want to ask you that question all across this room, other locations, wherever you are. Anybody within the sound of my voice, like, have you trusted Jesus to serve you? If you've never done that in your life, you've not come to that point, I invite you, let this moment be that point. God is speaking to your heart, saying, I love you. I've come to sacrifice my life for you and to serve you now and for all of eternity. Trust me to serve you and just say to him in your heart, yes. God, I, I need you to serve me. I need you to save me from my sin. Jesus, I need you to cover over the stain of sin in my heart. I'm going to trust you to serve me with everything I need now and forever trust you as my servant and savior. And when you pray that, express that to God for all who have. Maybe you express that for the first time to God years, decades ago. Can we just say it again in a fresh way today? Jesus, we trust you to serve us. trust you and pray for everything that Stephanie and Kennard and Brady and Jillian need. For everything that every single heart in this gathering right now needs, that you are sufficient to serve our deepest needs. And so we pray that you do it. I just pray that over every single person in the sound of my voice now. God, please serve them with everything they need. Help them to hear your love for them now. And think about our church Bible reading plan today, Zephaniah 3. You quiet us with your love. Would you quiet hearts with your love? 
with hope, the peace that passes all understanding. That they're gonna make it through because you were with them. You're for them. Let's pray that you would help them to hold on to you as their servant. Help us to hold on to you as our servant. In Jesus' majestic, mysterious, wonderful name we pray. Amen. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacy Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.